Hey everyone, welcome to Grace Community Church of Willow Street's podcast. If you have any questions or want to learn how to be more engaged with our church, check us out online at gccws.net, or you can connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, or YouTube. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoy today's message, and we are praying that it leads you into a growing relationship with Jesus. Lord God, we thank you so much for today, for another opportunity to worship you, Lord, to be here in this place, uh, surrounded by others who are pursuing you, Jesus, and, and faithfully doing so. We just thank you for the ability to be here and uh, to worship you freely this morning. Lord, as we look towards your word and look towards specifically the doctrine of your holiness uh, this morning, God, uh, we are made very much aware, Lord, that we live in a world that is far from holy, that is far from perfect, that is sometimes very far from good. Lord, there are many uh, who are hurting this morning, who are in pain, who have experienced loss and suffering, even in our own local community this week. And Father, we, uh, we ask that you would be merciful and that you would comfort us in the midst of our hurt and pain. We pray specifically for the, those families who were affected by um, the events of this past week uh, in the Lancaster community. And God, we just uh, we pray for comfort and peace. Lord, we also think uh, of the world around us and the many, uh, many struggles and strife that we see uh, in, our, in, our, uh, in our world. Um, Lord, we think especially of the nation of Turkey this morning as they uh, have experienced this uh, terrible natural disaster, Lord. Uh, we pray for those who have been affected by the earthquake. We pray for those who have lost loved ones. We pray for those uh, workers and first responders still sorting through rubble and wreckage. And we pray for those uh, that may be uh, trapped and still in danger, Lord. We pray uh, for your goodness and your grace to prevail in that scenario and in, in that country. And God, we just know that when life in general is in turmoil, when it feels like there is wreckage all around us, Lord, that you can bring peace in the midst of it. Lord, we, we know that when we are in pain or grief, that you can bring comfort. And when all things seem hopeless, Lord, you yourself are our hope. So God, we thank you for that. We cling to that this morning in so many ways. Father, we pray for Beth uh, as she continues to do the work that you have called her to do, we pray for a good balance of uh, work and life and, and uh, ministry that you have called her to. God, we pray that you would strengthen her for the work that you have in front of her, but also that you would give her rest when she needs rest. We pray for her upcoming trip to Africa in April uh, through June. Lord, we just pray for safety in that. We pray that uh, you would continue to bring uh, insights and, uh, and uh, cases to her that, that uh, she can speak into, and Lord, as she continues to bless missionaries that have given their lives in, in service, Lord, it's not often that they are served themselves, and so we thank you for the work that she is doing, and we pray for more people to join in that team, to join in the work that she is doing, and uh, to travel and serve missionary kids with disabilities. And Lord, this morning as we look towards your word, I pray that you would 
speak through Pastor Paul. Lord, uh, I pray that you would speak in, in a mighty way through him to us this morning and help us to see where your holiness convicts and calls us to repentance. Allow your word to mold and shape us and to challenge us to be more like your son, Jesus. And it's in his holy name that we pray. Amen. I want to be respectful. Would you all please give Beth a hand? She is a wonderful lady. She is available if you want to know more about what she does and how she does what she does. In the lobby today, there's a table set up for her, and I want to encourage you to go and to talk with her and get to know her. She really is a delightful person, and God has used her in amazing ways to help expand the goodness of his son, Jesus Christ. Well, I want to see a show of hands. How many of you can swim? That's good. That's good. That's good. When I was a kid, I had a relative who threw me in a pool, and I couldn't swim. Don't you feel bad for me now? I hope you do. Some of you are going to laugh at that later. You're like, oh, that's nice. They should have let you there. No. What happened was sometimes in life, you get tossed into some water, and you feel a little overwhelmed, don't you? Last week, I gave an illustration about the fact that when we're talking about God, it's no longer we're drinking milk. We're chewing meat, real beef. And so some of you took this serious and took, sent me pictures of your ribeyes that you had last Sunday. And I just want to say to you, that's not fair, because I didn't have a ribeye. I had a chicken quesadilla, and it really didn't look as good as your ribeye. So, you know, I'm not using that illustration again, so don't send me your ribeye. But if you are having brisket for the game, I, hey, I'll be over, you know. But no, really, when we're studying God, particularly today, it's not necessarily going to feel like chewing on meat. It's going to feel like someone tossed you into a pool and you don't know how to swim. And it's going to be heavy. And there might be a temptation today for you to stop kicking and trying. And I want to urge you and encourage you, don't do that. Stay with us. Because someone is coming to rescue you and me. Amen? I want to also encourage this morning, would we begin our time by reading a very familiar prayer from Matthew chapter 6. It's called the Lord's Prayer. Would you recite this after with me? Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation. But deliver us from evil, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. The Lord's Prayer opens with a command, doesn't it? What does it say? To make God's name hallowed. Hallowed. To make his name holy throughout the entire earth. How can we do that? I often read that prayer, I pray that prayer, and I think, God, how can I do that? Well, this week, we continue in our series on God. Last week, we studied about the Trinity. I want to encourage you to go back and listen to that message if you're still not familiar with what the Trinity is or you weren't here with us last week. But this week, we're going to look at the idea that God is holy and that he calls his people to be holy. Throughout the Bible, there are these statements where God says exactly that. I'm holy, and I want you to be holy. Two of them, for example, one is found in Leviticus chapter 11, verse 44. I am the Lord your God. Consecrate yourselves. Be holy. Say this with me. Because I am holy. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 15. 
But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. There's a problem, though. I read those sentences, and I think, God, I know my thoughts, my words, my actions. There's no way I'm holy. And the other problem is this. I don't even know if I can fully understand how holy you are. Do you see the issue? How can God call me to be holy when I don't feel holy, and at the same time, be like him when I don't even really understand him? A.W. Tozer, in his book, Knowledge of the Holy, I strongly recommend it, captures this sentiment when he says this. We cannot grasp the true meaning of divine holiness. We may be, hear this, we may fear God's power and admire his wisdom, but we cannot even imagine his holiness. This is, God's holiness is like an enigma. It's a mystery to us. God is holy, and he calls us to be holy. How in the world is that possible? If you're confused by what the word holy means, it is simply a term that we use to describe the utter uniqueness of God. For God to tell me to be holy feels like he is asking me to hold the sun in my hand and not get burned. And yet, friends, that's exactly what he's saying in Leviticus chapter 11 and 1 Peter chapter 1. He's saying, Paul, I want you to hold the sun and not get burned. The Bible Project, I was confused about this myself, and so I began to research, and I came across a, a website called The Bible Project, and they have an amazing eight-minute video describing the holiness of God and how we can be holy. And so I want to share with you some of those insights that I found from this video, because it was so helpful, I thought I'd share it with you. They said holiness oftentimes is very confusing to people because we don't understand the history of holiness. Do you know where holiness started? It started way over here. In Genesis chapter 2, there is this day that God set apart. It's called the Sabbath day. He said that is a holy day. The second time we come across holiness in the Bible is this with this bush. How many of you remember Moses and the burning bush? Yeah, Moses and the burning bush. Mo is standing there. I should be respectful. Moses is standing there, not Larry Moe and Curly. But Moses is standing there at the burning bush. He's near it. And what does God say to Moses? Exodus chapter 3, verse 5. Do not come any closer. The warning goes out. Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. What is happening here? God sends out a warning to Moses. Don't be, don't be silly. You have no idea whose presence you are in. Take off your sandals, those unclean sandals, and stand on this ground that is holy. But don't come any closer. You see, Moses didn't realize this, but he was in an impure state. And yet he did realize that this is an intense scene. In the midst of his ignorance, he is scared. And he's concerned. And the intensity for Moses is much like you and I if we were asked to hold the sun in our hands and not get burned. What do we do? And you can imagine what you do. Moses tries to learn to live with this holy God, and so he frees the people from the bondage of slavery in Egypt, and then they begin to build a temple. This is the third time we discover about the holiness of God. They decide, hey, we can't handle God's holiness. Let's stick him in a box. So they do. They stick him within a box, within a box, within a box. And then in the center of the box is this place called the most holy place. You call it the holy of holies. And that's where they stuck God. And they lived in proximity to the holiness of God, and they were okay because God was stuck in this box. 
And then this is where the book of Leviticus comes in. Leviticus teaches us how to live in proximity to a holy God. How does it do that? It tells you and I how to be ritually pure, ritually clean. Why? Because the issue of being in God's presence is that we cannot be ritually impure. What does that mean? It means that you need to be in a state where you separate yourself from anything related to death. Like, hear this, like touching things like diseased skin or dead bodies or even certain bodily fluids. All these things make you impure, not because they're sinful, but because they have to do with death. And in God's state, there is none of that. And so Leviticus teaches us how to live in proximity to a holy God. And if we get any close to that God in an impure state, we will be evaporated. We'll be annihilated. Now, some of you might be struggling with the idea that in the presence of God, someone would be evaporated. I mean, how could a good God do such a thing? Think about it like this. You can't ask the sun not to burn you, and you can't ask a holy God not to evaporate you. Why? Because we conform to them. They don't conform to us. When I go outside, I put SPF on. I, you know, some of you have an umbrella. You wear hats. You're conforming to the sun. You're not telling the sun to conform to you. In the same way, you don't say to God, hey, look, don't be so intense. He says, get real. You conform to me. I don't conform to you. And so people did that. They were satisfied. They figured, hey, God used to be in a bush. Now we got him in a box inside of a box. Hey, let's keep him there. And as human beings, that's what we do. We like having standards and steps and structures, and we like having rules. And if we follow all the rules, we know we're good to go. And yet the problem is, you and I don't really understand God. He's not happy being in a box. He wants to be with us. And so there's this man, Isaiah. This is where the idea of holiness develops in the Bible. There's a man named Isaiah. Isaiah comes to be in the presence of the Lord. It says this in Isaiah chapter 6, verse 1. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord, high and exalted, seated on a throne. The train of his robe filled the temple. This vision that Isaiah has of the Lord in his temple is terrifying. It's absolutely terrifying. He's not supposed to be in the temple. Isaiah knows what happened with the burning bush. He knows about the temple, and he knows that as a man, he's in an impure state in the presence of a holy God, and he knows this is where the end comes for him. And yet God does something miraculous. He does something amazing. In the midst of this impure state, you actually know this, Isaiah calls out to the Lord, I'm unclean. I live amongst the people that have unclean lips. In Isaiah chapter 6, Isaiah doesn't scream, I'm a sinner. He says, I'm unclean. And then God does something amazing. He sends one of his angels. And this is what it says in verses 2 to 3 and 6 to 7 of Isaiah chapter 6. Above him were seraphim. And they were calling to one another, holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. Verse 6. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. With it he touched my mouth, and he said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away, and your sin is atoned for. What's happening? What's happening is a seraphim sees this unclean Isaiah standing there on the ground, screaming in panic, I'm unclean. And the seraphim, because of God's great mercy and love for us, 
takes mercy on Isaiah, walks over, to, flies over to the altar, grabs a coal, runs, flies over to Isaiah, and takes the coal and touches Isaiah's lips. Now, this in human history is an amazing moment, and many of us miss it. And here's why: when something is pure touches something impure, what often happens to the thing that is pure? It becomes impure. Like this morning, I woke up, my wife and I were there for breakfast, she had a glass of water. And to prove my point in the illustration, I took my hand, I stuck it in her water, I said, you drink it now. (laughs) No, I didn't do that. I want to be married, you know. (laughs) But you get the idea. If you have a pure glass of water and you take your dirty hand and stick it in there, the glass becomes unclean. And you don't want to drink it. In the same reality, how in the world does this angel take a piece of coal and touch these unclean lips of Isaiah, and yet Isaiah is the one who becomes clean? Do you see what's happening here? What's happening here is an image that God has given us that one day he doesn't want to be stuck in a bush and in a box. He wants to break forth. And so he's going to come and he's going to touch the lips of unclean people and he's not going to become unclean. Matter of fact, we're going to become pure in the sight of a holy God and not just pure. What does the angel say? The angel says before Isaiah, I haven't come just to touch you and make you clean, but he says, I've come to take your guilt away, to atone for your sin. Atonement here is the idea of cover over your sin. This is what Jesus Christ does for us. When Jesus Christ came on this earth, he would touch sinners that were unclean. And when he did that, he would make them ritually pure, and at the same time, he would cover over their sin. When you get saved and you come to believe in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ not only makes you clean, but he covers over your sin with himself. His righteousness is transferred to us. This is an image of what God has planned for you and I, that the Son of God is going to come and touch us and be like that coal, and he's going to transform us from unclean, sinful states to now pure in the sight of a holy God. It's amazing. It's absolutely amazing, and we as a church often miss it. And maybe you're sitting there and you're thinking, Paul, I feel like you threw me into the deep end and I don't fully understand. Good. We're going to go even deeper into the water. You remember the burning bush and you remember the box and now you remember Isaiah. He's in the temple and he has an image of God coming down and touching people and making them pure and covering over their sin. And then there's this guy, Ezekiel. What a great name to name a kid. Short for Zeke. Ezekiel chapter 47, there is, he's standing there and he's not inside the temple like Isaiah. He's actually outside the temple. And what he sees is something amazing. He sees that there's this trickle of water that begins to flow from the temple. And then it doesn't, it's not just a trickle of water. Then it turns into a stream. And then that stream turns into a river. And around the river begins to sprout forth trees and shrubs and fruits and crops. And then that river turns into a sea. And what is Ezekiel seeing? He is seeing that the holiness of God is flowing now out of the temple into all humanity. And it's bringing life and hope where there was death and disease and destruction and darkness and sin. Now there's life. And then Jesus burst onto the scene. 
And Jesus never denies that he is the exact representation of God, and he is the embodiment of the holiness of God, now in flesh, John chapter 6. And you know what's amazing about Jesus? Is he does everything that we don't expect him to do. When you're in the presence of a holy God, you know what you expect God to say? Don't come any closer. You know what you expect God to do when you come to church? You expect God to say, well, here are all the rules you should follow. And if you follow all these rules, you know what? You're going to be right with me. God, you stay in your little box. You know what you expect God to do? What he doesn't do. What, he, what, he, what you can't imagine he would do. That he would come and touch sinners and be in our midst. And yet he wouldn't become sinful. We would become like him. It's amazing. Matthew chapter 8, verses 1 through 3. Look at this. Just give you an image of what we're talking about. Jesus came down from the mountainside. Large crowds followed him. A man with leprosy came and knelt before him and said, Lord, if you were willing, you can make me clean. See, you would expect him to say, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me sinless. You can take away my sin. But this man wants to be clean. And you know what Jesus does? He reached out his hand and he touched the man. He touched him. He said, I'm willing. Be clean. And then now look. Immediately he was cleansed of his leprosy. It's not just I want to make you pure before a holy God. I'm going to cover over your sin. You see, Jesus is that exact representation. He's like that coal that came and touched Isaiah's lips. He's like the river in Ezekiel flowing out and touching various people that never thought in their life they would ever be able to stand before a holy God. And you know what the cool thing about Jesus is? He has a church. And this is what his, his image is for the church. That the church would not just be satisfied with knowing about God, but that we would be the holiness of God on this earth. This is so cool. This is why Jesus said in John chapter 7, verses 38 and 30, 37 and 38, he said, let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scriptures have said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. What's Jesus talking about? He's talking about the church. He's talking about what it said in the Leviticus chapter 11. I am the Lord your God. I am holy, so you be holy. What Peter picks up in 1 Peter chapter 1 when he says, listen, God's holy, so you be holy. What he's saying is there's a holy God, and he is like a river flowing out through his people to bring life and hope to people that are both unclean and sinful. It's amazing. And yet it doesn't stop there. You have all this history of holiness. Now you see it. There was a bush. There and there was a box. Then there was Isaiah in the temple and Ezekiel's river. And Jesus shows up and his disciples are going out bringing life and freedom and freshness to a, to a people that are honestly dead. And then there's a revelation. There's this man named John who has a revelation, not a vision. He has a revelation. Why? Because it's of what is going to come. And John sees a revelation where he puts it all together, the bush, the box, the river. And he says, friends, one day God is going to come to earth. Look what he says here in Revelation chapter 21. You've probably heard this. 
Then I saw a new heavens and a new earth, for the first heavens and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. Why does he say that? Because evil is gone. Sea equates evil in the book of Revelation. The evil is now gone. Look what he now sees. I saw a holy city, not just an ordinary city. I saw a holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from from the throne saying, look. God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will dwell with them and be their God. You see what's happening here is God is not satisfied with being in a bush in a box. He wants to be with us. It's like when I go home and my Labrador jumps at me. She doesn't want to just be with me. She, like, wants to be inside of me. You know, if you have a lab, you understand. When I wake up in the morning, she's laying on top of me. When I sit down on the floor, she lays next to me. I'm like, Piper, would you get off of me? And in a sense, God's saying, no, I want to be with you. Look at Revelation 22. This is the river. And the angel showed me the river of the water of life, as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and the Lamb. Down the middle of the great street of the city, on each side of the river, stood the tree of life, bearing 12 crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. Why do I tell you all this? Why am I giving you the history of holiness? Why are we jumping into the deep end when we can't swim? Two reasons. One, I wanted you to see how a holy God ends up being with unclean, impure sinners. He had a plan. It wasn't just that Jesus came. Jesus came because he wasn't satisfied with us just knowing God from a distance. He wasn't satisfied with us knowing God just by following all the rules. No, Jesus came so that you and I could enter into the presence of a holy God, pure and without sin. And the second reason is this. It's because we need to destroy all the stigmas that go along with holiness. They're destroying us. You know, the idea, well, you're holier than thou. You know, you know what holiness is when you look at the scriptures? It's not that. Holiness is not morality. Let me just say this. You know what morality is? Morality is when you and I just do what is right. We follow all the rules. And if I follow all the rules, God, aren't you going to be happy with me? You know the difference between a holy person and a moral person? If they stood up here on the stage and I had a moral person and a holy person, you know what would be the difference on the outside? Nothing. You would look at both those people and you go, wow, they're pretty impressive. But on the inside, there would be a drastic difference. You see, the moral person on the inside would be saying, God, aren't you pleased with me? I checked all the boxes. I did all the things that you asked me to do. God, you must be happy with me. Versus the holy person on the inside is saying, God, listen, I don't even know if I check all the boxes. I don't even know what they are. But I delight being in your presence. It is fun. When I'm in your presence, I feel richness and I feel fuller. And being with righteousness versus unrighteousness is like, why would I ever choose unrighteousness? God, I delight in you, not because of duty, but because of desire. You see the difference? Martin Lloyd-Jones says this in his commentary on Ephesians. He says, morality is a negative quality. It means not committing sin. But that is not holiness. 
Holiness is positive. It is essentially a matter of loving. The Christian is a man who loves holiness and appears before God because he is holy in love. He hungers and thirsts for righteousness. He delights in the law of the Lord. See, one has to do with duty. The other one has to do with desire and delight. See, holiness is not morality. It's also not legalism. Some of you don't like church because you grew up in a church that was legalistic. What is legalism? Legalism says you have to conform to man. You know what holiness says? You conform to God. And some of you really don't like church because you heard a lot of the conform to man. When I first got saved, there was a slogan. You don't, I'm going to mess it up because I can never remember, but you don't date girls who drink or chew or go with guys that do. I don't know if that, like, it was something like that. And that's all legalism. I didn't care if my wife did those things. You know what I cared? If my wife was in love with Jesus. And the reality is, is that destroys God's image and it destroys the church. And it's why some of you don't like church. Because you think that there's a bunch of standards that people have created and you know in your mind, that's ridiculous. It's absolutely ridiculous. And yet that's what, if we don't understand the history of holiness, that's what we become. Versus having a desire and a love for God. You see, holiness is not morality. It's not legalism. And it's not possible in our life if God is not in it. We need God to be holy and to make us holy. Not just to save us, but to help us to become holy. Jerry Bridges in his book, Pursuit of Holiness, says this, Holiness is not a series of do's and don'ts, but conformity to the character of God and obedience to the will of God. It's why in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 14, it says this. It says, make every effort to live in peace with one another and to pursue or to be holy. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. You see, we need holiness. We don't need morality. We don't need legalism. We need the holiness of God in our lives so that we can delight in him, but so we can also see him. Did you notice in the stories I told you, Moses did what? He saw the Lord. I, 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 Isaiah saw the Lord in the temple. Ezekiel saw the Lord. The disciples saw Jesus. John saw the Lord in Revelation. Why is seeing so important? It's because when you see the Lord, it changes you. It's like you go out on a sunny, hot summer day, and if I stand out in the sun, I'm going to get burned. In the same way, if you stand in the presence of God and you have a holy encounter with God, it will change you, transform you into his image. That's what holiness does, which is why you and I need to see the Lord. We need holiness. I want to say this to you. Holiness means walking in obedience. I don't know if you realize this. Holiness is not about do's or don'ts. It's about simply walking in obedience to God. There is a story in Matthew's gospel, Matthew chapter 17, where Jesus is transfigured before the disciples. And it's like the disciples get a glimpse into eternity. They get a glimpse into who Jesus really is. I want to read you this story. 
After six days, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John, the brother of James, and led them up on a high mountain by themselves. There he was transfigured before them. His face, hear this, shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as light. Just then there appeared before them Moses and Elijah with name tags, so we knew that, talking with Jesus. Peter said to Jesus, Lord, is it good for us to be here? If you wish, I will put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. While he was still speaking, a bright cloud covered over them, and a voice from the cloud said, this is where God interrupts our ignorance, and he says, this is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. Peter, you're in the presence of a holy God. Jesus is standing in front of you, shining like the sun, and you want to talk? Just shut your mouth and listen, which is what we say sometimes as parents. And this is what the parent, the father of God is saying to Peter. Listen, would you just be quiet and do exactly what he says? Not out of duty or morality or legalism, but out of the sense of don't you desire to be here right now? It's like looking at a sunset and the guy next to you is chewing gum. And you want to smack him. Would you stop? I want to enjoy this. And in some sense, that's exactly what we do when you're in the presence of God. I want to enjoy you by doing exactly what you tell me to do. And there are times where we don't feel like being obedient. Amen? I'll say that. On Thursday night, I didn't want to be obedient to God. This past Thursday, I was tired. I had worked a long day. Some of you are questioning that because I'm a preacher. Friday is usually the preacher's day off. Some of you are going, isn't every day your day off? No. We do work, and Friday happens to be my day off, and I was looking forward to it. But on Thursday, I worked all day, then I come home, and the kids had to come to outpour. And I didn't want to take the kids to outpour. In my heart, I was saying, God, I'm tired. Do we really need to be here? Can we go home? It's late. I worked all day. I'm glad the kids are learning how to worship, but I want to go home. There's a thought in my mind that said, you know, it's good to be in the house of the Lord. And so holiness is about being obedient, whether we feel like it or not. And holiness is also that idea of obedience is to do what you only you can do and let God do what he can do. And what I didn't realize is that night that God had a plan. That not just that 13 children would come to know and follow Jesus Christ, but that one of them would be my daughter. That's what a holy God does. He has a holy encounter with a five-year-old, and he gets that five-year-old to understand the glory and the greatness of God. And now Carolyn knows Jesus. And I'm so excited about that as a dad, because that's what God does. Because holiness is walking in obedience, but it's not about me. Holiness is not about me. If it were about me, my thoughts, my words, my actions, trust me, it would not be holy. It is about the Lord. And it is about celebrating the Lord's victories, not my victories. All too often, I take credit for God's victories. If I have walked a period without sin or doing the same things that I normally do that are dumb, I post it on Facebook or social media and say, look at me. I've done so well. As opposed to saying, if holiness is about the Lord, look what the Lord has done through me. Look what God has won. 
Look at the victory that God has had over the sin, the the consistent sin in my life. See, holiness is about the Lord. Jerry Bridges says in his book, Pursuit of Holiness, our first problem is that our attitude towards sin is more self-centered than God-centered. He goes on to say, we are more concerned about our own victory over sin than we are about the fact that our sin grieves the heart of God. We cannot tolerate failure in our struggle with sin chiefly because we are success-oriented, not because we know it is an offense to God. Are you success-oriented or is your life God-oriented? Finally, I want to say this to you. Holiness is normal. That's the normal state. Years ago, I was living in Chicago doing ministry, and there's this area of Chicago called Boys Town. If you know anything about Boys Town, you know exactly what I'm describing. And I would go there regularly to care for people, minister to people, and get to know people. And I met this one young man named Jason. Jason had a very hard life, struggled greatly with many things. One of the things that Jason struggled with was homosexuality. And and over the years, I got to know Jason and walked alongside him. Actually, there was a group of us that walked alongside Jason. We prayed for him regularly. We met with him. We read the scriptures with him. And we we hit this law one time with Jason where we weren't really seeing any progress. And I called this man Christopher Yuan. Christopher Yuan has written many books on the subject of homosexuality. One of them is called Holy Sexuality in the Gospel. I strongly recommend it. But before he'd written this book, before anybody knew him, I knew him, and I called him, and I said, Christopher, I'm really struggling. And to my shame, this is what I said to Christopher on the phone. I said, I just want Jason to be normal. And Christopher, because of the grace that God has shown him, said on the other line, you don't want him to be normal, Paul. You want him to be holy. You see, when we're struggling with sexual sins, it is a temptation in all of us to think that we're not normal. And that there's some normal standard out there for other people. Listen, the people that you know that struggle in those areas, it's not about getting them to stop that particular sin. It is about calling them to a holy standard to say, listen, you don't want to be like me. You don't want to be, that's moralism, that's legalism. You want them to be holy before a holy God. Because God said, I am holy, therefore be holy. God didn't say, I'm normal, so be normal. And it changes the way you pray and it changes the way you think when you're looking at people that are caught up in sin. It's not to say, gosh, can't you just be normal? No, it's to pray with tears. God, help them to be holy. Help them to see you like Moses saw you, like like Isaiah saw you, like Ezekiel saw you, like the disciples saw you, like John saw you. Help them to see you the way that I see you because when you see God for who he really is, it changes you, doesn't it? And you don't want to follow him out of being normal. You want to follow him because there's a holy dwelling that has sprouted up inside of you and you can't do nothing but want to conform to be like him. Do you know why Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6, you should pray this way? Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. 
It's because in Matthew chapter 6, Jesus is showing us the history of holiness. He's saying, listen, we want God's name to be holy, not just stuck in a bush, not just stuck in a box, not just stuck in some temple, or listen, we want his name to be flowing like a river throughout the entire earth. We want everyone to know the Lord from home to home, from house to house, from city to city, county to county, from state to state, and nation to nation. Would they all know the holiness of a holy God? Because, friends, that's what's coming. And let me tell you something. You do not have the right to pursue happiness. But we do have the privilege to pursue holiness. Our state, our country has gotten that wrong. Because if you pursue happiness, think about it. What are you trying to be? Normal? You see, holiness is unique. And it calls us to conform to the character and the image of a holy God. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you this morning that we have the privilege to study your word, to not just study your word, but to know you through your word. And Father, it is my prayer that we would hallow your name, that we would make your name holy throughout the earth, that as we send out missionaries to Uganda and to Africa and to Alaska and to Spain and to Romania and to the Dominican Republic, and Father, as people go out that they wouldn't try to go out to make people be like them, but they would go out as a holy representative of who you are. And that, Father, it would spread from Asbury University to the nations. Would it spread from Grace Community Church to every ethnic group that we know of. So, Father, we thank you that we have the privilege to be a part of your great plan. In the strong name of Jesus Christ, amen. Thanks for listening to today's message and choosing to spend some time with us today. To get more information about Grace Community Church, our service times, and our location, check out our website at gccws.net.